welcome to Novel Finds, the podcast where we talk about your favorite books, our favorite books, and everything in between. Hey, I'm Maggie. And I'm Julia. And today we have an awesome guest with us, uh, my friend from college. I don't really bring many of my friends on. Uh, my friend, Nicole Bank- Banky. I actually yeah. don't. Thank yes, you. <laughs> <laughs> I know your first name. I don't actually know how to pronounce your last name. I'm so sorry. Yeah. No, that's so fine. That's what one of the things with me having the H in Nicole that I never correct people on really, because then it's just like, once you get to my last name, nobody has any idea. So I'm like, that's the hard one. <laughs> well, welcome, Nicole. I'm so, so glad that you're here. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I have been excited about this for a long time. So it's cool that it's happening. Yay. Well, we're glad to have you, and we're glad to talk about one of your favorite books, uh, An Absolutely Remarkable Thing by Hank Green. Woo-woo! Yeah! <laughs> I guess before we delve into this book a little bit more and talk about why it's a favorite for you, Nicole, should we get ourselves kick-started with a summary and some author fun facts? I think so. Okay. Fabulous. Um, here is a little summary that I have stolen from goodreads.com. The Carls just appeared. Roaming through New York City at 3 a.m., 23-year-old April May stumbles across a giant sculpture. Delighted by its appearance and craftsmanship, like a 10-foot-tall transformer wearing a suit of samurai armor, April and her best friend Andy make a video with it which Andy uploads to YouTube. The next day, April wakes up to a viral video and a new life. News quickly spreads that there are Carls in dozens of cities around the world, from Beijing to Buenos Aires, and April, as their first documentarian, finds herself at the center of an intense international media spotlight. Seizing the opportunity to make her mark on the world, April now has to deal with the consequences her new particular brand of fame has on her relationships her safety, and her own identity. And all eyes are on April to figure out not just what the Carls are, but what they want from us. Dun, dun, dun. That almost makes it sound spooky. (laughs) (laughs) I know, right? I wasn't entirely sure what to expect with this book. And it it had a lot. So um, I'm just going to keep talking. Let's do some fun facts. Hit us up, Julia. Okay. All right. So the first one, I feel like a lot of people probably know, but those of you that don't, it's okay. Um, Hank Green is the younger brother of John Green. And John Green wrote books like Paper Town, Paper Towns, right? I think so. And The Fault in Our Stars and a bunch of other really sad books that teens like to read. I was never a John Green fan personally. Sorry. But we're talking about Hank Green, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> my like you never read his books or you No, just I did. Didn't I like I did. Them. And I I've read a few of them and I just didn't like feeling that sad. So. <laughs> That's fair. I I uh, am under the belief that there is a potential John Green book for everyone. Like personally, I had zero time for Paper Towns and Looking for Alaska. I was yeah. like, who are these privileged kids and their silly little problems? <laughs> but the hold the fault in our stars had on me as a 15-year-old <laughs> girl is unreal. Like, Oh it, my it's, gosh. Yeah. I, I finished that book to restart it. <laughs> I, I was insane about it. 
Wow. I am such opposite. I love feeling the sad. And I have always been, if you can say this, more of a fan of John Green than Hank Green, at least in the beginning. I've been following them like podcast, YouTube channel like, mm-hmm. for too many years. Um, <laughs> and it took me a while to like, understand Hank's curiosity and interest and humor because I always love John just dives right in anytime he talks about things and makes it so emotional <laughs> and, you know, all encompassing. And then Hank comes in with like a joke and I'm I'm just like, wait, we were feeling something here. I feel like they have intense older sibling, younger sibling vibes. Yes. Yes. Can I ask you what your Zodiac sign is? Uh, Libra. Oh, okay. Are they known for being like into emotional stuff? Yeah. I know less about that. I know Libras are the justice ones. Yeah. They've got the scales. Yeah to yeah. be even out or equal but I I don't have you guys heard of the Enneagram yeah. yeah yeah okay so I'm a four on the Enneagram and that's where I think that melancholy desire okay. comes from interest I think I'm a five on the Enneagram that makes sense I'm a three hmm. cool mm-hmm. all right so uh fun fact number two I, it kind of goes into a personal one, but also just not at the same time. I had no idea that Hank Green wrote books. Um, so when you suggest, like when you said you wanted to do this one, I was like, oh, Hank Green. Is it the same Hank Green that I watch on, on Instagram every now and then? I thought Hank Green just posted like sciencey videos on Instagram from his, I don't know, basement in Missoula, Montana. Like he's just, uh, he seems like a local celebrity slash cryptid from Montana. And I was like, oh, he has a book too. <laughs> so I was very surprised. Yeah, um, but I don't that- know if you've been to his Wikipedia page, but his list of the projects he's been a part of is so long. And so I loved it. If you look up who Hank Green is, I think it's even with this book, it describes him as an internet personality. And I'm just like, I guess that's the best way to yeah. encompass everything he's done. Yeah, yeah. That was kind of a snowball of two fun facts. He lives in Missoula, Montana, which is where Maggie and I met. Um, and also he is on Instagram and does cool science videos that I like to watch. Nice. Yeah. yeah. I did not know that he lived in Missoula. What? How did I not know that? <laughs> How did you not know that? I don't know. It just seems like a thing that I would know, but I definitely yeah. did not. Yeah. No, I'm pretty sure I saw... I don't think I saw him. I may have seen him, but I'm pretty sure I saw a video of him like on his his profile at some point that had like the market on front or something in the picture. And I was like, I know where that is. That's that's oh in my Missoula, um, which is just really funny. That is genuinely hilarious. I know. Like what a random town for Hank Green to live in. Yeah. Genuinely it fits so though. Random. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay. Yeah. Um, let's delve into this a little bit, unless you had another fun fact. Nope. I don't want to. Okay. Fabulous. Um, Nicole and Julia, little warm up question. What would you say is the best food drink pairing for while you are reading an absolutely remarkable thing? I think I've got to go with like heating up leftover pizza in the microwave, but then fresh coffee Mm. and they don't go well together. I'm not saying this is something I'm desiring, but (laughs) 
everything seems to happen at 3 a.m. in this book, and they only eat out of necessity. So it's got to be leftovers, but the coffee has got to be hot and fresh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I could definitely see that. I was thinking something like mildly stale popcorn and Sprite. So I think we're on the same level here. Absolutely. Yes. I love it. I love That's it. a much better pairing. I would actually consume the popcorn and the Sprite together. See, no, I think... Like pizza and coffee for breakfast is is excellent. <laughs> that is a vibe that I have lived many times. Yeah. <laughs> Maggie, what do you think would be a good food pairing? I was kind of thinking like either um like a gross diner, like like pancakes and like diner coffee, mm-hmm. or like takeaway. Like when you would get like, I'm trying to think of the American equivalent of a takeaway because it's not, it's kind of like fast food, but here we have takeaway places where you just go in and like you get a little thing of French fries and then you leave. And that's what I imagine. Like that's the thing that you eat at 1am when you are Mm -hmm. starving for food. And so I imagined it would just be really bad takeaway and 1000% coffee, even though the thing Honestly, okay, I know you guys are going to think I'm dramatic. When I was reading this and she said that she didn't like coffee, I thought to myself, mm, can't trust. <laughs> Absolutely not. I don't, She's still you know, young. I didn't get into coffee until after like college and I got really into office life. So not oh. addicted, but for a while, I never drank it growing up, not high school, college. And then when it was free in the office, started. And then mm-hmm. I started going to coffee shops and stopped drinking office coffee. And then I started drinking on the weekends. But I remember being so proud for a long time that I never drank coffee on the weekends. Long gone in the past. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know that I even clocked that she didn't drink coffee. But I definitely just personally started drinking coffee when I was like 16 or 17 and have not stopped. If I stopped, the headache, I'm sure, from caffeine withdrawals would literally kill me. Yes, yeah, same. I And yeah. I don't want to find out. So. No. <laughs> yep, no desire. <laughs> it's fine. Caffeine can be an overlord. It's fine. Everything's fine. Oh so, uh, moving on. Um, Nicole, how did you come across an absolutely remarkable thing? Uh, just their podcast, them talking about it. I, you know, pre-ordered it when they said that it was available for pre-order. I think I was just really interested to see what kind of book he would write. Uh, mm-hmm compared to what I've read from John and knowing how different they are. Have you read the second one? Yes, I have. So and I, have either of you read the second one? No. Oh, it is. I know so many people I have were like bummed by how much of a cliffhanger this book ends on. And the second book is so worth it and so completely different at the same time. And uh, yeah, I just... I, it's definitely worth the read if this one captured your attention. All right. I kind of liked the cliffhanger at the end. I thought it was cool. You know, yeah. what's interesting is like, I felt like, yes, I could see how it was a cliffhanger, but I kind of like it when stories end on an open note. Like it felt like the story finished, but mm-hmm. you don't know everything that happened to all of the characters. But, but you can like imagine what they're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But when I posted this book to my Instagram, I had a ton of people telling me to read the sequel. So yeah, you, know, I you have to. It sounds so, like yeah. <laughs> the gods of social media have have <laughs> commanded me. 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> nice. Uh, so, um, would you, I don't, this book isn't like super science fiction-y, but I would say it fits in the science fiction genre, but are there any other like genres in there that this could fall under, you think? I've always thought of it as science fiction. I looked into like what other ones it could be. And I think it's been categorized as speculative fiction as well, but I've never even heard of that genre, but from the you know 10 minutes I spent educating myself Mm -hmm. it is just encompassing of like fantasy urban like fantasy sci-fi it just doesn't like pigeonhole authors to play by science fiction rules Mm -hmm. but I I still would say sci-fi but I don't read a lot of sci-fi so you know maybe it doesn't fully fall into that either I mean I think it it is sci-fi it's just so like in a regular town though too Mm. so if there's a thing uh, because there's like urban fantasy which is like low fantasy which takes place in a city and has magic and fantasy elements but isn't like high fantasy where you're in a completely different world so i'm wondering if there is an urban sci-fi like genre you know because this is it is like not on a different planet it's like the same planet you know yeah i'm sure there is i would categorize it urban sci-fi i like that (laughs) i like that too because you know the thing that really stuck out to me in this book while reading it is that yes there were science fiction elements but it and in a way they were driving the story but it more so felt like a tool that Hank Green was using to talk about the dangers of social media in this like coming of age story. Mm -hmm. And then it it, like just so happened that he used some science fiction elements in order to do that, which is why I think it also makes it confusing because it definitely reads like, like a, like a young adult drama comedy drama or something. But then there's also just robots. Yes, right. I totally agree with that. I think about, I was thinking about that on my reread where I'm like, he just thought of the coolest way to give his characters a reason to be famous. Yeah. You know, he's like, okay, I need her to, you know, get famous really quickly over a big thing that gets a lot of people's attention. Oh, giant robots come to earth, you know? And it's just like, okay, yeah. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's plausible. With the, they're in New York, and it looks like it could be an art installation. Why not? Like, yeah, it's a great not? plot device, and one that just keeps unfolding. Where you're like, I didn't know it could get more complicated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but isn't that how social media works? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Truly. Truly. Um, well, Nicole, what makes this book in particular, I know you touched on it a little bit when you mentioned how you like came across it, but what exactly makes this book a favorite for you? Do you find that this is a book that you keep going back to over and over again? I definitely think there's a lot of lines in this book that people could use as mottos or summaries of life lessons. I watch a lot of awful Netflix movies and TV shows where you could you can probably know exactly what I'm talking about, but the characters are modern in using their phones and on social media. And it's just portrayed by a screen popping up in the lower corner. And it just all feels so fake and silly. And in this book, the use of 
cell phones and technology and social media feels so realistic. And I can picture her laying in bed at night on her phone, scrolling through Twitter, keeping herself isolated, not falling asleep, and just diving into that world instead in a way that I haven't seen in any media, in a way that I believe so much. And I think that's why I just love reading this book because I fully relate to that. That's amazing. Yeah, I like that a lot. I think that's really, really insightful (laughs) into this book. I think I just, I hate when plots fall apart because of miscommunication and so many movies and books just don't have characters calling each other. When I'm like, if you just called that person, you'd be fine. (laughs) And I feel like they almost avoid like phones and cameras because it just makes things too easy to solve. In this book, it's like, no, we're fully on our phones and we're not solving anything. (laughs) Right. And there's still miscommunication. Yeah. And (laughs) it's very realistic. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, Do you have a favorite line or section that you want to share? Yes. I I mean, there's just so much, like you were kind of describing as a comedy, there's so much just good wit in here. Mm -hmm. But... Mm -hmm. My favorite section is probably when they meet with Jennifer Putnam for the first time and she's walking through the office and that whole meeting takes place. And then they're at the coffee shop and the line where she says, I'll just read the little bit of it. Um, I stared into my coffee as the magnitude of it all crashed down on me once again. This just kept happening. I'd be living my normal life, being me inside of me the way I'd always been. And then I'd remember... It was just like how I felt a couple of years before when our cat Spotlight died. You keep forgetting that life is never going to be the same, but you can only go so long without thinking. Where's Spotlight? I haven't seen him at all. Oh, and I just love that idea of when we realize we're not like that we've grown or at a new place in life. <laughs> and obviously for her, it happens so quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I catch myself doing that just like even when I get into a new hobby that I'm like Saturday morning, I want to paint. And that's what I want to do every Saturday morning that I have free time. And I'm just like staring at a box of, you know, something I did a year ago that used to be what I wanted to do every Saturday morning. I'm like, oh, do I miss that? Or did I not like that as much as I, you know, and it's just, it gets you to think. So just the line of like me being me inside of me, but I'm not me anymore. I don't know. It's just like a fun thing to play with. Definitely. Definitely. I mean, I feel like everyone evolves. And it's not necessarily good or bad. It's just what happens. Um, so I like that. Maggie, do you have a quote you want to share? I, I really struggled to pick like an exact quote because and the people in my life are probably so sick of hearing this. But I <laughs> feel like the thing that really stuck out to me in reading this is the tone is so strong. Like Hank Green knows his voice. He knew exactly who April May was and what she sounded like and what she was all about. And I just, I was very amazed. And I think it was a little bit overwhelming for me in the beginning because it was so intense. He was just like, here's the brain that you are stuck in for 300 pages. (laughs) Um, But he was so true to it the entire time. And it really, really, really stuck out to me. But I will read this like really sad. It's he had a lot of moments that are just like, oh my gosh, yeah, that is how it feels to like communicate with other people or to like, especially as as April is rising in her fame and sort of taking sides in this 
quote unquote political debate, like what to do with the robots that have invaded earth. And she starts being very, very vocal and she starts to sort of see how she loses herself and how she loses the people around her. And I don't know, this quote like stuck out to me. It's really sad. I guess I, I don't know. I was just kind of feeling vibey, I guess it's autumn. (laughs) Forgive me. Okay. Uh, April says, basically do your best to mock and deride their connection to an appreciation of you because deep down you dislike yourself enough that you cannot imagine anyone worthwhile actually wanting to be with you. I mean, if they like you, there must be something wrong with them, right? And that thought is sort of what instigates her to wanting to be to like embrace this fit newfound fame that she has on social media because she finally feels wanted by people. Because when she sits with herself long enough, she starts to think like, oh, why do I have a partner? Why do I have a best friend? Why does my family like deal with me? Because if I don't enjoy being in my own brain, how could they possibly want to be with me? And it's just so sad. And it's so honestly how I feel like social media manipulates us. Cause then mm-hmm. we sort of, I'm going on such a rant. I'm so sorry. But someone <laughs> no. was like, someone was like, you feel sad when you only get 40 likes on Instagram or whatever. But imagine how it would feel if like 40 people just came up to you and like, <laughs> like complimented you. At Gave one you time. a high five. That would be crazy. Like we would feel so overwhelmed by love and gratitude if that happened in real life. But Mm -hmm. 40 feels like such a tiny amount on the internet. Yeah, that's so true. I've never thought about that way. Yeah, 40 people came up to me and they said, wow, your food looked really good at that restaurant. I'd be like, whoa. Honestly, at some point I'd be like, are they all being sarcastic? Like what is happening right now? Am I being punked? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, I think. It definitely messes with our vet needs for validation, which is not great. Not great. Julia, do you have a quote that you would like to share with us? I do. Um, I actually dog-eared a couple of things. Um, so I'm going to share two. The first one is also on kind of a sad tangent-ish, but it's more sad about humanity. Um, than it is about April herself. So this is um, just past halfway through the book, but it is uh, human beings are terrible at accepting uncertainty. So when we're ignorant, we make assumptions based on how we imagine the world. And our guess is so obviously correct that other guesses seem at best willful, willful ignorance at worst, an attack. Oh, and I was like, oh, oh man, that's a little, little too on the nose for uh, society today. Because I mean, I don't know. I definitely went through a phase in life where I was trying to categorize like absolutely everything, where it was like just taking the Harry Potter houses, for example. Um, because I was sorted into Slytherin, anyone that was a Gryffindor, I was just like immediately annoyed with. So I was like, <laughs> uh, like, why are they Gryffindors? Um, which I am gladly not in that phase of life anymore. I don't really completely subscribe to the houses. Um, but just things like that, where it's like, okay, so I'm this for that. My Enneagram is this. My whatever those four letters are the Meyer Briggs. Uh, <laughs> I'm this. And just like figuring all of those things out, which I mean, people like to have order 
among chaos. And I get that. But also chaos is just going to happen. Like you got to just let it happen and then take it as you go. Um, And so I liked that quote a lot. Yeah, that's I mean, that literally reminded me of, I think, another quote in here. Um, It says something about like being human is complicated, but being a brand is simple. And it's like, yeah, how do we put ourselves in a box enough that we're just a brand of something that's easy to understand? Mm -hmm. No, we're full humans. We've got a lot going on. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't have to be black and white. We all just live in a gray area and that's fine. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And my other quote was just really fun. It's in the acknowledgments. I love the acknowledgments. Um, first of all, Hank Green is on a talking basis with Patrick Rothfuss, um, which just blew my mind. Um, but the the other quote was like right at the end. And it, he says, I also want to thank every single person who ever says you have to read this book to a friend. I don't care if it's this book. I just want people to remind each other how wonderful books are. I was like, oh, I love that. Yeah, that is really cute. Yeah. I love that. That's really, really sweet. Yeah. It's like the whole basis of this podcast. (laughs) You have to read this book. So that's that. I guess. Yeah, uh, that's that. Um, Throwing this out to either of you, what would you do if you were in April May's place? Like if you, if before she even became famous, you come across this robot in that's dressed like a samurai. It's 10 feet tall, just in the middle of the sidewalk in Manhattan at 3 a.m. What do you do? I am so far removed from any level of fame. I think I would just take a Snapchat and send it to <laughs> 10 people and it would stay within us. And the next morning we all all wake up and then they'd be like, whoa, that thing you sent was actually something. And that would be where it ended. <laughs> I agree. I think that's probably what I would do, too. I would not be calling someone up to meet me to come look at this sculpture. Yeah, I was know enough to know how cool that was. I know, right? So. Like, also, I'm not awake at three in the morning. Like, I would just wake up to the news. <laughs> just like everybody else. Yeah. I would, when, if I saw that, I would take a picture and just, like, send it to a few people and be like, haha, New York is weird. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And then walk away from it. (laughs) And then move on. Yeah. But, I mean, kind of the draw of, this is like mildly spoilery, but not really. The the Carls chose April, May. So Mm -hmm. if if the Carl chose like one of us and we just took a picture and walked away, (laughs) like what do you think would happen? Would we like suddenly disappointed in us? (laughs) (laughs) Right. You're like, you were our chosen one. Like, they'd have to somehow influence the internet and the picture that you took or something. I don't know. Yeah, Yeah. I'm not sure. I guess if they really wanted me as their chosen one, they'd just have to work a little harder. (laughs) That's fair. (laughs) (laughs) Because they want you, they should probably know how to get you. Versus just a grassroots effort to get the knowledge (laughs) out. You guys get it. You get it. Oh, Oh, my goodness. So, I mean, April did end up taking the video of of this robot samurai and became famous like overnight. Um, She has a chart that talks about the levels of fame or the tiers of fame um, 
in it. I think there's what four or five. Let me turn five, to the page. Yeah, five. There's five. And I liked that like each of the levels, you could be one, like you could be two of them. Like you could be a, a tier one of popularity, but then like a tier five as well, somehow. Um <laughs> <laughs> and I just thought they were interesting. Um can I read out the tiers and then we'll talk about them? I would love it. I would love it if you did. Okay. So tier one is popularity. You're a big deal in your high school or neighborhood. Uh, tier two is notoriety. You're recognized and or well-known within certain circles. Tier three is working class fame, which is a lot of people know who you are and they are distributed around the world. Uh, tier four is true fame. You get recognized by fans enough that it is a legitimate burden. Um and then tier five is divinity. You are known by every person in your world and you are such a big deal that they no longer consider you a person. Um, what what do we think of these tiers? Also, what tier do you think you're at? <laughs> I'm not even on this chart. Yes, you are. I would, Maggie, I would say you're probably tier three, working class fame. Thank you. <laughs> A lot of people know you and they're around the world. Yeah, I was just going to say, both of us are in very different spots than you around the world. So, yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> you guys, you guys are making it. <laughs> I would definitely say that I'm tier one just because I have a very peculiar vehicle. And I get texts from people all the time saying, Are you at such and such place? And I'm not but my a similar car to mine is. Um, so I definitely know that people probably more recognize my car over me, for sure. Wait, what is your car? I have a Subaru Crosstrek, which is super normal, but it's that like light blue color. So I think that's only one step down from as recognizable as the orange one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. So, but I would say that's the thing in my life that I get the most compliments on or people saying like, oh, I love the color of your car. And then they just never forget it going forward. So, uh, but I don't know when I was reading these, I kind of feel like tier one and tier two. They're happened pretty similar. The, I want to say you're either tier one or you're tier two because tier one feels like overarching popularity. You know, like mm -hmm. if you're a big deal in your high school, you're probably appealing to a lot of people or you know, things like that, but notoriety where you're recognized within a certain circle. You know, if you're that person in high school, and obviously this doesn't go for everybody, but someone in high school that's not like standard popular, you're probably really good at something in a small circle that you're right, well known like for. You're in the drama club or you're in the band yeah. geeks and like all of them, both the band geeks and the choir and the drama club, you know, everyone in those circles. Yeah. So those to me kind of feel like, I would rather be tier two than mm -hmm. tier one, but they kind of happen simultaneously. But tier two makes me feel like you've got a skill, not just you're popular. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. I hear That's you. That's fair. That's fair. What do you think, Julia? I don't know. I mean, it's it feels kind of like braggy. I feel like for me to say, I think I'm probably in tier three also as working class fame. Why? You but can't put me there alone. We're famous for the same thing. <laughs> Well, I don't, I just, I think it's working class mostly because I know a lot of people and like I've lived in, in different places, which I mean, you do too. So I think we have that similar thing or, or the, the popularity. I don't know. 
uh, a lot of people in my neighborhood now recognize me for my purple hair. So no way. That is yeah. so fun. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. It's really funny because at the kids school, I actually know a lot of people there, which is weird because I only pick them up from school. <laughs> but I like I know them because like I, their kids have done my drama program or like I've seen them at events that I've thrown at the park and just stuff like that. And so I actually know like a lot of people around town. And oh my god, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't tell you this. I didn't tell you this yesterday. I got so excited. Um, I went to pick up lunch from one of my favorite lunch spots and the owner recognized me and I was like, oh my God. And he recognized me because of my hair. And I was like, oh, it was, you, it was excellent. You made it. You made it. I to did. You. I yeah. made it. That's like a big I'm moment. still <laughs> smiling and excited about that moment. Oh. You're like, you have my, me being a customer for life. <laughs> right. <laughs> I will come every day. <laughs> Well, I won't do that because that, that would get expensive. But uh, I used to like go weekly and then he wouldn't like recognize me. And then it's been like a month and a half and I finally went again. And he's like, oh, you changed up your hair. It's more pink now. Oh, I was like, oh, tier three material for sure. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I believe you. I support your tier three assessment. Oh, I agree. Congratulations, Julia. Congratulations oh. on being in the same tier as me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what are we gonna do with it? Nothing. Nothing. Make <laughs> uh, stickers. I don't know. <laughs> Nothing. Yeah. Um, I will say, genuinely, I I thought this the whole time I was reading it, and I keep thinking it as we talk. But I think that Hank Green is incredibly observant to human nature and mm-hmm. character and how we view the world and how we view each other. He seems to be very in tune to that. Like this book isn't just his opinions on it or this 23-year-old girl's there's a lot of really insightful thoughts mm-hmm. on on social media and fame and how we view each other. I so, agree. Yeah. It's, it's it's very poignant. Absolutely. Not a podcast of his that I listen to as actively as other things that he's produced, but he has a, I honestly don't even know if they're making new episodes, but him and his wife have a podcast where they review his tweets from the previous week. And he, the whole thing is every week he obviously has different tweets, but it's him defending why those were worthwhile to his wife who thinks he spends too much time on Twitter. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. And knowing that, with the structure of this book in April May's reaction to Twitter and then all the people in her life that react to her reacting to Twitter. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, I see your motivation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Hank has a, has a little bit of April in him. Yes. Yes. So I, yeah, it was fun <laughs> to listen to that podcast a little bit after reading this book for the first time. Yeah. Um, oh my God. That sounds hilarious. Because mm-hmm. I love, again, shame. I don't, yeah right but I don't know again if it's still happening but he tweeted a lot at the episodes that I was uh tuning into all right all right um so big question where does an absolutely remarkable thing fall on our spice meter are there romances in the book how spicy are they are they spicy are there even romances there are there's like a central relationship in the beginning because <laughs> April May has a girlfriend in the beginning. Mm-hmm. 
And then, spoiler alert, they break up the minute April May becomes famous. <laughs> Which is pretty early on in the book. Very early on. Like, it's not it's, really much of a spoiler. It's very obvious that it's coming. Yeah. yeah. Unfortunately. I, I mean, the rest of it, I think she has a fling with one person. And every so often she thinks to herself, that person's attractive. So... Mm-hmm. On the spice meter, I'm going to give it like like a sprinkling of salt and pepper. <laughs> Honestly, I was going to say the same thing. <laughs> so I was like, it's not really that spicy. I no. love, I love that she is a bisexual main character. I think that's excellent because I just love finding bisexuals in nature. Um <laughs> just, it makes me look like I'm hunting for them. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. It's just it I like it um having characters in books also representing the B in the LGBT um community. And I like that it did show her being interested in both men and women in the book. Um that being said, I mean, it's not one that really lent itself to being spicy. No. Yeah, it, yeah, it was a bit disappointing if you're putting it on a spice meter, I would say. There was like a lot of attraction in the book, but not a lot of romance. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, it kept me thinking like, is something going to happen? And then, yeah. And then nothing did. And then I was like, well, <laughs> we've got bigger fish to fry. One time something did happen. April May was like, they don't want me to share. So I'm not going to. Yeah, <laughs> I, I was like, "Sorry, I don't kiss and tell." <laughs> Moving I thought on. it was hilarious. I thought it was very funny. Yeah, Her but that goes back to the tone of how yeah. the book is not written to the reader; it's written to the people of this world that the book takes place yeah. in. Yeah, it's written like for an audience specifically. It isn't yeah. like a diary by any means. Or like a journal, it's a, a com- it's like a collection or like a memoir almost of just what has happened and whatnot. I think that as a narrator, April May, while honest, wasn't always very reliable, you know? No, definitely not. Definitely not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, one of my favorite parts, it was kind of near the end where she was addressing the audience and said, oh, I'm getting to that big day that something happened, but I have a juicy secret that I've kept to myself. So if you're thinking about skipping ahead, don't. But for us, we don't know anything. <laughs> so right. I'm like, why would I skip? I, I don't even know the things that all the people you're talking to know. <laughs> so just little things like that made me laugh so hard. But. I will say there was one chapter toward the end where it did, like, at the beginning of the chapter say, hey, there's some gore in this and I'm not going to be offended if you skip it. And then as I was reading the chapter, I was like, where is the gore here? And then it happened in, like, the last paragraph of the chapter. And I was like, (laughs) oh, okay, interesting. Cool. Yeah. I think she's <laughs> like literally 20 pages, and then one paragraph is super gory. <laughs> I think she described herself as cocky at the very beginning of the book. And that's when I should have taken the hint that she'll be unreliable. You can't trust anyone that describes themselves as cocky without feeling ashamed about it. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I think she does sometimes feel ashamed about it, but for the most part, even through her shame, she continues to do what she does. <laughs> yeah. Well, you guys. 
The world is desperate to know. I am desperate to know. What are your feelings on the antagonist in this book? Is it Carl? What are your feelings on the robots? What are you thinking? Carl is not the antagonist. (laughs) What the heck? (laughs) No. (laughs) Just checking in. I think what Peter Petrowicki, is that how you say his last name? That's how I was saying his last name. Petrowicki. I was like, wow, what a nerdy last name. So sorry for the people whose last name is Petrowicki out there. But it was just, it was odd and alliterative and funny. Um, I thought Peter was the main antagonist. But I mean, if we're going in like circular levels, social media is probably on there too. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. smart. That's deep. I yeah, I didn't I, if I was going for a not obvious antagonist, I was thinking Jennifer Putnam. Because she's the reason they were pitted against each other. But yes. it's like the book got into that too much. I think that was like one line that was covered. <laughs> and then we just moved on. But that's to me, I'm like, she's the mastermind. Of- no, yeah, yeah. When when we found out that information, I was actually outraged. I was so upset about mm-hmm. Jennifer and her, like, spoilers, her playing both sides of the argument like she's not only the agent for peter she's also the agent for april and they're they're just oh that made me so upset yeah and i again did not see it coming when Mm -hmm. april was talking about meeting jennifer and saying and when i looked back i would see i did not think this is what she was alluding to (laughs) i just thought oh yeah agents are like sleazy sometimes no big deal maggie who, who do you think the antagonist is I don't know. Probably Are you going to say Carl? Humanity? Oh my God. No. Um, <laughs> All right. Get out of here. <laughs> Never. Um, it's definitely not Carl. And just, I, I worry that we didn't bring it up, but April May names the robots Carl. And then they're referred to as the Carls for the rest of the book. Just you as a listener, in case you didn't know that. <laughs> oh, um, right. Because um, I'm not sure we said it, but the Carls <laughs> are the robots that are all over the world. You might have said um, it in your summary. Yeah, I, I can see that being confusing, though. <laughs> I'm not 100% sure. No, when I think of a villain, I definitely think it's Peter. I think that uh, Putnam is more of, like, a tool that is used to, like, instigate the problem. But Peter is absolutely, um, like, he's, he's an inflammatory yeah. And he has a lot of uh, vengeful tendencies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's not always great. No. And no. he is, he's like cruel and just kind of distasteful. Just not great. Yeah. yeah. Any interaction with Peter is incredibly distasteful. Also, he's like a grown ass adult debating with a young 20 year old and he's going to like call out all of her misgivings, which I mean, I don't really know the structure of debates and how they're supposed to go but i don't think you're supposed to like aim for people's sexuality Um, yeah you always made it personal yeah in a wrong way yeah like talk about the issue don't talk about your personal vendetta against each other yeah Yeah. i i I thought it was completely inappropriate and that last uh debate like that where they went head to head made me cringe it, it made me uncomfortable. It was mm-hmm. so hard to read. Yeah. Oof. No, Peter himself is just very cringy. 
Also, how how did he get out a book like so soon? Oh, that was Charles. That was something that immediately I was like, this guy is bad because the only way you would publish a book that soon is just for the immediate like fame and control of it. But I think they said it was only like a 40 page long book. So it was just kind of like a long essay of his hatred. Yeah. But no, that honestly bothered me more than his age difference. I mean, that bothered me a lot of just you have so much more experience in this world and then you're Mm -hmm. attacking her because I think his book was also so cheap. Uh, And so everything about it, I'm I'm just like, why is anybody supporting him? He's obviously such a fraud and just out there for attention. Uh, I don't know. That that fact bothered me a lot of like, that's how he got popular and famous. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Just just distasteful. Very. Mm -hmm. Well, you guys, is this a book? Is this book? Is this a book? Yes, it is. Yes, Yes, it is. Is is this book going to be a movie or TV show? I have no idea. I never look up this question. And (laughs) if not, which it's not, do you think it should be? I think it could be. I just am still so scarred by how people portray social media and texting and things on television right now that I don't feel like it would do it justice. But, you know, professionals surprise me all the time when you put the right people yeah. on a project. So I could see it being great. I don't know. I I I don't know that right now is the time, but I think in like the next three to five years, this could be like a really cool movie. I think it has... It has the potential, but I just think that so much of the book was in her head, which is not to say yeah. that that doesn't mean that it can't be adapted into something really great, but I don't know if it would hit as hard. Well, you might have to, at that point, like combine the first and second book. That is a good idea. Yeah. And I don't know what the second book, <laughs> Nicole, would it would it work to combine them or is there too much in book two? Um. I think there's just a huge shift in book two that it might feel strange to combine them. But again, I don't, I'm not in charge of any of those decisions. So who knows? Maybe somebody's like, that's brilliant. Let's put it in a movie together. <laughs> Amazing. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, if you could be a character from this book, would you be? And if so, whom would you be and why? I would definitely be Robin. I, he just was always so on top of it. And I don't know about his personal life. They didn't get into that too much, but being somebody with answers just sounds amazing to me. (laughs) That, and he was so like good at his job. Yeah. He he was on top of it all of the time, always had food, always was driving, always like knew who to contact to get what needed to be done. Like he is a very efficient character. Yeah, and that's the whole magic castle air er- like scene yeah. chapter area. Uh was just like he got the car, he got the food. He was like, I can get you in. Why are you guys fussing about anything? Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, <laughs> Yes, let me be him. <laughs> I was really bummed we didn't actually get to go further into the magic castle. Yeah. yeah. I wanted that. I wanted it so bad. It was such a good interaction that, yeah, that would have been amazing. Just the people that were working there that day, too. I was just, I want to meet all of you. I want to know more Mm -hmm. about this world. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
Maggie, who would you be? Oh, gosh. Julia, are you also Robin? Honestly, I thought I would probably be one of the Magic Castle employees. I <laughs> <laughs> love that answer. Love uh, it. Thanks. Um, gosh, I don't know. I didn't really see myself in any of the characters. If it was like a movie and I had the opportunity to be cast as anybody, maybe. I don't know. I, I genuinely don't know who I would want to be. That's true. I guess mm. if I could be cast as anybody, I would want to be the villain. I would want to be Putnam. I thought you were going to, I would want to be Peter Petrowicki. (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) No, that would be weird. No, I wouldn't want to. Uh, Um, But in terms of like a favorite character, I don't know, maybe just like Carl. I think he, they, he, it um, is wholesome. They're just curious about, they literally were just curious about Earth and they just came to have a little peek and then they (laughs) left. Uh, that was nice. Who do you... Th- okay. If Hank Green did a cameo in this movie, who would he be? Um, He would be the doorman. Oh, my gosh. Oh, yes. <laughs> I feel like he'd be Andy's dad. Oh, that's oh, another good yeah. one. That is a good one. Because that's still a very, like, minor role, but he definitely could make an impact with a couple mm-hmm. of good lines. Or, you know, looks. Yeah. 100%. That is good. Oh, I love that. <laughs> all right. Um, so all right, do you have more? No. Cool. Um, for those of you that have already read An Absolutely Remarkable Thing by Hank Green, um, what other books can we suggest? What recommendations do we have? Um, I have two right off the bat. Uh, first one, Ready Player One. I just got a lot of the same vibes when I was reading it. Ready Player One is much more sci-fi but um uh, an absolutely remarkable thing has these like dream sequences where they like go to sleep and they try to figure out puzzles Mm -hmm. in their dreams and ready player one you know they go into an alternate universe to like try to solve puzzles to get further ahead in this game and the tone at times really struck me as very similar the writing didn't take time to describe things or and it wasn't emotional or flowery it was just like spreading the facts and getting right to the point the entire time and then the other book that i'm recommending is another science fiction one and i'm going to be fully honest i haven't read it yet but i purchased it and i'm the owner of it (laughs) and um the internet recommended this to me as well after reading an absolutely oh my god maggie what you're taking forever to tell us what it is. <laughs> I want to know. Oh, okay. It's building. <laughs> I'm not trying. I'm genuinely not trying to build suspense. <laughs> it's called Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow. Oh. oh. Yes. It's very popular right now. And it's about, it spans over 30 years. And it's a romance over video games. In my head, it's like Free Guy, but maybe better. <laughs> I don't know. Ooh, haven't read it yet, though. Better than Free Guy? Free Guy was really good. <laughs> I, hey, I love that movie. You are preaching to too. the Free Guy <laughs> choir. <laughs> I did like Free Guy as well. <laughs> so excellent. Uh, yeah, that tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow is actually, I have requested that on hold at my local library. So, Nicole, should we buddy read? I know. That's what I'm thinking. Let's do but it. I'll say again. 
and I don't know if this is why I was recommended to you. I heard about this song, this movie, this song, um, the Hank and John Green's podcast. John Green was recommending it to people on his podcast. So all I do in my life is listen to books that they talk about. <laughs> Amazing. So, yeah. But no, I would definitely, I'll reach out and, and let you know my thoughts when I, I yes, think I'm on please. like a two week wait list. So there'll be some time still. No problem. No problem. Julia, what about mm-hmm. you? Yes. Um, I also have two recommendations. The first one is The Martian by Andy Weir. <laughs> Free association, space aliens, an absolutely remarkable thing. And he's on Mars in space um, in The Martian. So that was kind of where that connection started. And also um, the tone is very similar because it's in like the main character's head for the most part. It pops into other areas at some points, but he's stranded on Mars and has to figure out how to get off it um, or at least survive. And it's also a pretty good movie too, but the book is, is excellent. Um, then my second book is The Fifth Season by N.K. Jemison. Um, that one, I haven't actually finished the series, but I mostly picked it because there are these weird obelisks in the sky of the world um, in the fifth season and in the series called the Broken Earth series, and that no one knows really what they do. And that was kind of like, well, no one really knows what Carl does in an absolutely remarkable thing either um so that was kind of where that connection came in so nice um yeah the fifth season is definitely i want to say it's probably closer to high fantasy absolutely yeah it's got some dense material in it which is why i have not finished the series makes sense yeah yeah it it was i finished it a year and a half ago but yeah it was a while ago i remember texting you about it The third one was so hard for me to get through. Oh my gosh, it was so dense. So yeah, dense. and like I want to like it, but it's just so dense. I feel stupid, like when yeah. I'm not paying attention but reading. So you have to like pay attention while you're <laughs> reading this one. Seriously, I could not believe how many times I had to reread chapters. Yeah, but if you want something lighthearted, The Martian is where it's at. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and Nicole, did you have any other books that you wanted to recommend? I feel like I jumped over to Julia and I wasn't sure if you had another one. No, I just was going to repeat the the sequel to this one again, A Beautifully Foolish Endeavor. Uh, it's got the same kind of cover design. So if you've read this one, you'll immediately recognize that as the sequel. But I think I kind of want you both to read it as well if you get a chance, because I think a lot of your answers on who's like the villain or who you'd want to be would really change after reading the sequel that will be my suspense for you mean i won't want to be a magic castle employee (laughs) you know what that one might still stand (laughs) nicole you know i cannot handle suspense so (laughs) yes my little butt is off to go buy a book (laughs) well we can't handle it either so Yeah, and I was gonna just more of a joke because this shocked me so much. Um, so feel free to cut this out if you would like. Uh, a few months, I just have had the worst luck in finding books that I've thoroughly enjoyed enough to recommend lately. And uh, a few weeks ago, I was in Austin, Texas, at a bookstore. Um, the book people—it's kind of like a big store down there. I don't know. And so every, I was just like, I'll just find a cool book and I'll buy it 
based on no previous knowledge. And I'm always sort of attracted to books where the main characters do something that I will probably never do myself. Um, you know, like they're just like interested in a hobby or like one of my favorite books that I read years ago, that's for probably a younger audience now is the main character was just playing bridge and they went to bridge tournaments. And so it's just like, something where I'm like, I'm never going to get into that, but how interesting that this is your life. Um, and there was a book called Little, and uh, it was about an orphan who grew up uh, as a mentor and apprentice to somebody that did wax molds. And I was like, how interesting, how cool, how fun. The book was so disturbing and creepy that at, even after my, nope, just keep trying, maybe it'll get better, maybe it'll get better. Um, I stopped reading and then I had to look up what how it ends because that's what I do with every book I quit. And it was a semi-fictional autobiography of Madame Tussauds' upbringing. <laughs> and I could not get through it because it was so creepy and strange. And then that just made me want to read it, knowing that somebody that famous had inspired that story. And it yeah. was by somebody that used to work with her who wrote the book. So that was like, <laughs> I just feel like I needed to talk to somebody about that. That's fair. That's that's why I made Maggie read Mexican Gothic. Yep. Yeah, it was just so weird. So that's why I was like, I don't have any book recommendations to bring to the table. So. But someone should read Little and then reach out to Nicole to talk to her about yeah. it. And let me know if it gets any better because it just got worse and worse. And I was like, I'm going to start having nightmares. So I got to put this book down. Yeah, it wasn't like poor treatment or abuse in a sense that we would commonly think. It was just such a weird life. And I mean, there was definitely abuse in it of like just neglecting her as a child. Um, but it was the places that she lived and the people that she was surrounded by. I was like, this is so creepy. Horror movie. Bad things are going to happen. All Never right. made it through. So oh, no. <laughs> you, can, you can cut all that out. It was just. The no, no. <laughs> we loved the tangent. But yes. Spooky. We're always here for tangents. It's getting to be spooky season soon anyway. We need those. That's yeah. True. Yeah. This would be the perfect book to read in the month of October. Nicole, Julia, any last and final thoughts for our listeners on an absolutely remarkable thing? Uh, just thanks so much for having me on. Um, hopefully I didn't talk about the Green Brothers too much, too, too much fangirling. <laughs> no, not at all. Never I enough. Hear this. <laughs> Never enough. <laughs> Yeah, you know. it's been a joy though. So thank you. Thanks Nicole, for being you've on. Been a pleasure to have on. Thank you so much. It's been so great. Seriously. We really we love having new guests and it's been a ton of fun. So thank you. Yeah, of course. Anytime. If you guys read the sequel, call me back. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> we'll give you a little beep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and with that, we heckin' did it, you guys. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you heard, share us with your other bookish friends and family. And if you're listening with Spotify or Apple Podcasts, be sure to rate and review the show. We are off to record our newest mini-sode for our Patreon, which if you're interested in joining our Novel Finds community on Patreon, follow the link in our bio. And be sure to follow us on Instagram at Novel Finds Podcast. Thanks so much for being a novel friend. We'll see y'all next, next week. week. Bye. Bye. <laughs>